0: Welcome to Catch Outdoors. I'm your host, Captain Rob Modis. Before we jump into today's episode, I'll let you know that you can contact me via email at catchoutdoors at gmail.com. My website's catchoutdoors.com. And yes, there's a Facebook page, Catch Outdoors. My second book, Bridge to Paradise, is now available on my website at catchoutdoors.com. It's a book of short stories about fishing, travel, and life. All copies are signed and the shipping is included in the posted price. Both it and my first book, What I Know About Fish in Southwest Florida, I know a bit, are <laughs> also available on Amazon Kindle. Happy New Year. Happy, happy New Year. Happy 2022. Today's episode's number 15. I called it Adventures in the Woods Hope everybody had a great new year. Hope it was safe. Hope it was fun. Janelle and I traveled to North Florida near Lake City to visit her brother and his wife, Terry, to bring in 2022. We had had so much fun. We really did. The area they live in is is extremely rural, surrounded by some of the most beautiful scenery you'll find in Florida. I've got to tell you, it's well away from the beaches of course, but it's, it's very, very pretty. No doubt about it. It's central and totally unlike the city we live in and and most beach areas in the state, there's plenty of room to move around, plenty of unique places to explore, especially if you love the outdoors as much as we do. It's a long way to the grocery store (laughs) by our, okay. So the grocery store here is like in our backyard. Okay. Honestly, it is. It really is. So you got to go much, much further for that. However, I I really, really liked it there. It was it was beautiful. We arrived on Thursday late afternoon. Steve showed us around uh, the new place. They just finished building a brand new home on four acres of land, and what I call a horse park. It's one of those parks that you know people have horses, barns, there's uh, riding paths, things like that, in between all of the homes out there. But every home in their area is on four acres. And then there's another area close to them. It's, they're on one acres, but the whole thing is so spread out. And I say it, I said it once, I'll say it again. It's beautiful. It, it really, it really was something. One of the cool things they did to the house when they built it is they added a, a, a little house, a cottage, if you will, for Janelle's dad, uh, Robert. And unfortunately, Janelle's dad passed away just a few months ago. And he got to, he got to live in the little cottage for, I don't know, a few weeks and uh, it's depressing. The good news is it's there. The good news is it's beautifully done. And the good news is it is now a guest cottage. We, we've decided to dub it. The family's decided to dub it uh, Robert's Cottage. So <laughs> we'll, kind of, we'll go with that. But so the accommodations were great. Um, food was good. Oh, yeah. And of course, the company was good. On Friday, Steve, Jonelle's brother, Took a sightseeing with a focus on state parks located in the area. One in particular was the Olino State Park. What an amazing place. Let me back up for just a few minutes, okay? I, I love the springs located in central Florida, beginning just north of Orlando. There's really nothing quite like them, and I've found that each one is somewhat unique. Um... I grew up in, as most of you know, on the west coast of Florida, uh, near the Tampa area in Clearwater, uh, the Tampa Bay area. So my introduction to springs was going to Silver Springs, Watchy, things like that. The first wild spring I'd ever seen, though, was thanks to Jonelle. Years ago, when we first met, she took me to Blue Spring State Park near DeLand, Florida. And it was beautiful. I had never really seen anything quite like a hole in the ground <laughs> that was ice blue in color with total visibility to the bottom. Um, and the fact that thousands and thousands of gallons are bubbling up every minute, every hour into these Springs uh, pretty much amazed me. What made Oleno state park so different from anything else I've heard about or have seen since Janelle took me to blue spring is that the Santa Fe river runs right through the park on its way to join up with the itchituckney river. Now, Okay. So people, well, so what's so unique about that? Well, the Santa Fe, as it rolls into the Olena State Park, disappears. It drops into a, what they call a river sink. So it drops into basically a giant sinkhole and just, yeah, <laughs> you can actually see the water revolving like a, like a slow motion whirlpool as it just disappears into the ground. And then there's a thing called a river rise. On the other end, a little bit further away from Olino Park there is another park and in that park the water actually rises up out of the ground so basically it drops into the ground goes underground flows underground for about 3 miles pops up a little south southwest of Olino in what is the River Rise Preserve State Park and comes up out of the ground at that point and then continues on toward the uh, Suwannee River so we wound up doing our, our first hike, our first trail at the Alina State Park. And, uh, you know, we started at the, at, in the middle of the Santa Fe River, well, not the middle, but along the Santa Fe River, walking through the jungle, as I called. It. Actually, it's woods. It had a lot of palmetto. I've never been real fond of palmetto because I've always associated that with rattlesnakes. So, but we didn't see any. <laughs> so we walked and we walked and we walked. And eventually we found a path. It turns out we had actually gone the wrong way and met up with a circular path on its what would have been on its way back. So it's kind of hard to explain the scene, but um, we we went the wrong way, but we wound up going the right way because guess what? We, were out, we wound up at the sink. So try to explain to you what this thing looks like. Just imagine an enormous amount of water flowing just like a river, moving fairly quickly, and then all of a sudden hits like a lake, if you will, but not, uh, let's just say maybe 25 to 30 yards across by 35 to 40 yards long. And it, and it, it is slowly swirling. You can see the surface debris leaves and things like that moving. That's it sinking into the sinkhole and away it goes. It's it's really mind boggling. It's very, very hard to, to kind of get a grasp on what this is, is about. Um, it's not exactly the place you'd want to go swimming. Let's put it that way. Now, while we were there, Steve mentioned the fact that there was actually a river rise. In other words, about three and a half miles away, the river comes back up out of the ground and continues on its way. But at, he believed that it was still on private land. And we started doing a little reading. And he been it was a long time since Steve had been there. And we found out that, in fact, you could go to the area that it, that it rises out of the ground. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. But we took a little break in between. So once we saw the sink... For the Santa Fe, we headed over to a park, um, took us to a place called the Itchituckney Springs. I hope I'm saying Itchituckney Springs. <laughs> Good grief. Let me try this one more time. Itchituckney. I did it. I'm going to spell it. I-C-H-E-T-U-C-K-N-E-E. Itchituckney. man anyway we went there and this was this was this was a a, a a spring basically a very powerful spring water was just coming up out of the ground like crazy there were there were a couple of guys out there with snorkels on trying to go down and take a look at it and they would keep busting back up to the surface so but the springs are beautiful as I said this again is that ice blue looking water temperature in the water is about 72 to 74 degrees all the time because it's coming up out of the ground so even in the dead of winter you could swim in it <clears throat> I don't know if I will or not but most people can can if they'd like to, depends on your tolerance for cold water. Um, but it was beautiful while we were there. Um, there was an occasion where there was a snake on one of the steps. Everybody kind of freaked out. Somebody screamed moccasin, moccasin, and everybody's out of the pool. (laughs) It turns out it was a rather large water snake of which quite honestly, its pattern looks very much like to me, very much like a water moccasin. I, I personally don't like, you know, snakes at all. So anyway. We then hiked from there uh, on a short way to a second blue hole, which is, is, is part of the same system. And it was just, I, I can't begin to tell you how beautiful it was, really, really a gorgeous place. One of the things you'll soon notice about the woods in these areas, um, there's a lot of pine and there's a lot of cypress. Um, you're also gonna see an awful lot of wildlife. There's, there are turtles, otters, deer, snakes, Herons, egrets, limpkins, owls, ospreys, among many others. So, but to me, the most interesting thing with the cypress knees, these, these little, uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, your, your cypress trees have these things called knees, which are these little, I don't know, little uh, shoots of wood that stick up out of the ground. They're smooth, very easy to trip over if they're small. Uh, but there were many, many of these things as we as we were hiking through the woods. That same day, New Year's Eve, We spent with family and friends along the Santa Fe River at the home of um, Shirley and Tommy. That's Terry's uh, mom and stepdad. Gorgeous home. I mean, literally right on the river, on the slope down, on on the top of the slope down to the river. Tommy was kind enough to get his boat ready to go, and we all piled into that and took a ride on the Santa Fe went north up the river to get a look at it. It's, 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 again, it's, it's an amazing place. You're in this river in the woods. I mean, thick woods uh, with all kinds of wildlife around you um, turned around and came back down and eventually wound up uh, at the confluence of the Itchnatucky. And that those two join in that location and eventually wind up going into the Swanee river. So believe it or not, All this is interconnected. You could you could literally leave their house in the woods miles and miles from the Gulf of Mexico and make it to the Gulf um, via the Suwannee River. So that in itself just you know fascinated me, no end. Uh dinner was Grouper. Now, does that here I am in Central Florida? Steve and Tommy are both avid Grouper fans, and Steve keeps a boat at his place out off the Suwannee River. And They both went out earlier, I think a couple few weeks back, and got grouper. And so, oddly enough, I'm sitting in central Florida, in the middle of the woods, in central Florida, I should say, and we're having a grouper, a grilled grouper dinner, which, by the way, was delicious. I learned a whole nother way to cook grouper. After dinner, Tommy fired up a fire pit, and we sat around that and had s'mores, (laughs) <laughs> I'm telling you, man, this was really a great time for me. This was, uh, in, in my view, leaving the big city with all the big city craziness, except for that beach I love, and heading out into literally uh, the woods of Florida. And 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 enjoying a New Year's Eve that was was actually probably one of the best I've had in quite some time. Of course, COVID has wrecked it for the past couple of times, but it was really just a beautiful time to be be out and about with family and with friends. It was it was great. I have to mention this in our area, the fireworks, as in many areas, are like bang bang boom all around you. Things are going off, hopping and popping. In Florida, at this point, as of as of uh, I think it was a year ago, it's now legal to shoot fireworks on, uh, New Year's Eve and on, um, 4th of July one day each time. I guess they finally got tired of trying to police it. And they're like, okay, look, we give up. They're going to buy the fireworks. They're going to do it. So we're going to make it legal for a couple of days. And that's how it was out there where they are. The fireworks had this an unbelievable echo. I remember thunderstorms in the mountains, which don't happen real often. When I was a kid in North Carolina, we'd go visit North Carolina. I remember the rolling thunder. You'd hear it and it just went and it went and it went, almost never stopping. The fireworks are the same way. The fireworks have this wonderful, they actually sound nice. I mean, they're boom and they're uh, surprising sometimes, but the overall sound effect of the echoing through the through the um, the ridges and the gullies and all that, and the valleys of the river itself we're pretty amazing, and I, I, I kind of enjoyed that. On New Year's Day, which was, uh, let's see, what was that Saturday? Janelle talked me into walking some more, as if I hadn't already done enough miles back on Friday. Um, she insisted on me getting my exercise, so obviously this is probably one of the best ways. Besides that, I mentioned that I love being outside, so, you know, why not? We decided that we would go check out the Santa Fe River Sink slash Rise. So, in other words, what we wanted to do was complete the story. We had seen the sink at Olino State Park. Steve had mentioned the fact that he knew there was a rise out there. And what had happened since he'd been there last, there was now another park attached to the Olino Park. It's called the River Rise Preserve State Park. And for quite a long time, it was closed off. You couldn't get into it. A lot of it was private land, but a lot of it was the fact that they hadn't done any of the surveys that were needed to be done, and they hadn't opened all the trails up. Well, thankfully for us, for, uh, for us they had. Um, now, this park is located about three miles to the south-southwest, I hope I get that right, of the Olino State Park. And we got there, found it, parked and then found that the, <laughs> the trails are not marked real well. And we honestly were quite novices at this. We both had shoes on, thank good goodness, and not flip-flops. Uh, but we headed off into the trail, high hopes. We we didn't get lost, but we got lost. We took a turn on one of the trails and wound up walking about a mile out of our way. I kept looking at I, you know, On my phone, you've got a mapping program, which is basically nothing more than a, a GPS. I kept turning it on and looking at it. And this little dot, this little flashlight dot that's on there, kept saying, you know, you're going away from the from the point where we believe the rise is supposed to be, where the river comes back up out of the ground. But we continued on a little bit further. I looked again. I kept looking. I said, this, this is not right. And eventually we turned around and went back. Now, Janelle was so disappointed because I know she really, really, really wanted to find this thing. So the two of us, um, put our heads together, I relented and said, okay, look, let's go back to the original trail and we'll head in the same direction we were heading without turning off onto this, to this other trail. Well, lo and behold, about a mile and a half later, it led us to the rise. So, I mean, it felt like a victory after we were wandering around in the woods. And by the way, once again, it's a beautiful, beautiful woods. I want to say something to the park service. <laughs> you can make better trail marks and you could put a map up at the beginning that gave, gave novices like us at least a general idea of where to go. And I, and I'm not speaking like we were uneducated or we didn't look. We went online later and looked and there's very, very little about the, how that, how that whole park works as far as finding the rise. Now, what is interesting, the trail that we were on that we mistakenly turned on that was labeled as a trail. Um, <clears throat> actually took you back to the Olena State Park. So in other words, three miles north is where we would have wound up. We would have wound up at the original park. We had no idea that they had connected the two together by trail. Um, so on that note, if you are a serious hiker, you got the backpacks on, you're looking for a big-time adventure, you could literally go to Olena, go to the sink, enjoy that, follow the trail out of there and go, and go south-southwest, and wind up down at the, at the rise uh, where the water comes up out of the ground. Now about that, that was one of the most amazing places I've, I've been. You hike and you hike, and all of a sudden you come to what appears to be a lake, just like the sink, but the sink was different. The sink had a lot of um, gathered leaves and green algae and things on the surface, almost like you know, like something is slow draining, but it's catching stuff out of the woods. The rise was completely opposite. The rise was, um, the water is kind of a heavily tannined water, obviously from picking up leaves and things along the way. And then it's flushed underground. And when it pops back up, uh, it's fairly clear. Now it's not blue bubbly water. It's certainly nothing like the, like the um, uh, springs that we had seen. But it was interesting to see this thing come up. The other thing that got me in, Lord, I wish I'd had a fishing rod there were fish rolling and moving around in this thing like crazy. I honestly think, and I'm going to return (laughs) to figure this all out because I kind of have to. I think what was going on there is you have this underwater water uh, bubbling through three miles of underground caverns and whatnot. And then it suddenly comes up to the surface. So it pushes things up, which means if there's any small bait, small fish, whatever, they are caught in this in this turbulence as this water rises to the surface. Um, I don't remember. I I had a, it's it's thousands and thousands of gallons an hour. I think actually it's close to a million gallons, rises up out of this thing every hour. Um, So you have to imagine the debris that gets pushed up and the food that gets pushed up. And I think that that's why those fish were waiting in that area. They probably knew exactly what was happening and they were feeding on whatever was getting um, rolled As it came up to the surface, one thing that I noticed was the quiet, how quiet it was. It was just unbelievable in that area. There was nothing but the occasional bird, uh, the breeze and the leaves. We live in a city. We live elbow to elbow with people. We have traffic on roads. We have sirens that go off uh, about every two or three hours, (laughs) accompanied by helicopter searches. (laughs) (laughs) there's a train track and we hear trains. Now I'm used to all this. I've heard it all and I can get away by it, but from it, by going to a beach or escaping to the Florida keys, but there's nothing like the silence of those woods. It was, it was absolutely amazing. After returning back to the house, we spent the rest of new year's day, uh, watching football. Um, Terry, she fixed, you know, black eyed peas. And, uh, a delicious dinner. We had actually great dinner. Um, barbecue pork chops on the grill. And, you know, we relaxed and kicked back. <laughs> By this time, you have to understand now, I'd probably done about three three miles the first day and, and over five miles the second day. And this old man hasn't really done all that much walking. Not recently. Uh, I have, I've I've got New Year's resolutions now where I'm going to have to do more of that. But uh, it was nice. We kicked back and, and watched Watched a little football and had some nice conversation and kind of relaxed for the evening. I'm going to digress here just a little bit. First, I'll say we came home on Sunday. (laughs) Our cats were thrilled. Where in the hell have you all been? That's that's that look you get when you walk. We have cat sitters, but that's that look you get when you come to the door. They're like, come on, man. You left us for a holiday. There were probably fireworks here, and I'm sure the cats didn't like it. Cooking. I'm going to back up just a tiny bit. I mentioned this earlier. I mentioned Steve's grouper. Um, A a trick, many of you probably know how to do this. I had not. Uh, Janelle had commented on the fact once before when she visited her brother, he fixed grouper this way. And I thought, okay, next time I'm going to give it a try. Um, He takes a grouper and lathers it in mayonnaise. Um, Oh, you know, like, you know, Dukes. (laughs) Lathered in mayonnaise. Then he puts the spices on the outside of the mayonnaise. Uh, He also happens to like Chef Paul's uh, Seafood Magic, which is one of my favorites. And he sprinkles that on the outside and then he grills it. Uh, He uses a grill basket. That's one of those things. It's a flat basket with, uh, you put the filet inside the basket, close the basket. It's got a nice long handle on it and that enables you to turn it over uh, repeatedly while it's on the grill. He's a charcoal man. He does not use, doesn't, he's not fond of propane or gas grills in any way. Um, so on a charcoal fire, uh, he basically puts it on and he told me the timing on it is roughly 20 minutes on a thick piece, but you know, you got to kind of keep an eye on it, but he turned it over constantly. And let me tell you what, it, it held all the moisture in. Now I know some of you are nodding your head going, yeah, I've done that. I've done exactly that. I hadn't, <laughs> and I will. Um, so anyway, it came out really, really good. So a couple of other food tips that I want to hand out. I, I thought about this earlier today before I was making this recording. I thought, you know, I'm going to run. I'm going to run on this a little bit um, because I, I'm, I've told you I've tried to vary the subjects a bit. Um, uh, shrimp. Do yourself a favor when you're when you're going to boil in the shell shrimp. So in other words, fresh fresh shrimp, preferably Gulf pinks. If not, just good old-fashioned Gulf shrimp. I, you know, do your best to find local shrimp if you're here in Florida. Um, bring that water to a boil. Um, I like putting spices into the water. Uh, there's no doubt about it while it's cooking. Saturain's, um shrimp slash crab oil is my favorite. That's a yellow can. Um, every grocery store is, well, you know what? Every grocery store had it until the covid and then the supply started to dwindle, and it got really hard to find. But it's a powder uh, which you can sprinkle directly into the water, and they also make bags. So they make these little crab boil bags that you can get. But the shrimp cooked in that is is delicious. So I'd highly recommend doing that. You can come up with your own spices. You know, there's a lot of things you could dump into boiling water to to, to spice up shrimp. The trick to boiling shrimp is do it quickly. Restaurants, unless they're really, I mean. A high quality restaurant, of which you pay the big bucks for, most of them just over. Most of the others just overcook shrimp until it's tough, and it's easy to do because shrimp cooks extremely quickly. Um, when you put it into the boiling water, the boil will go off almost immediately. The shrimp will sink. Stir it with a wooden spoon. It shouldn't take more than a minute to a minute and a half for it to start to float to the top. You generally will not see the water reboil. That's the key here. You're, you're dumping in, which are, you know, even if they're room temperature, they're cool. Um, if they came out of the refrigerator, they're definitely cool. So it takes a little bit to get that water boiling again, and it won't. That, sh- that shrimp will be ready before it boils, and it's time to get it off of the uh, off the heat. Now, the mistake a lot of people make is they'll take good old-fashioned uh, hot shrimp. It's, it's in the boiling water, almost boiling water, and they pour it into a colander in the sink uh, to drain it. And then the shrimp keeps cooking. You have got to put ice on the shrimp. Go, you know, and there, before you even start to take the shrimp, put the shrimp into the boiling water, set aside a, a bunch of ice. And I use a I use a great big uh, six cup uh, a bowl and I just get a bunch of ice out of the ice maker, set it right there by the sink Put the put the shrimp in when you're pouring it off. Pour the hot water off, the boiling water off, and then dump that ice right on top of the shrimp right away. And then put a little fresh water on top, out of this out of the spigot. Just just put a little fresh water on top to help start to melt that ice into the shrimp. You want to stop it from cooking, and the only way you're going to do that is to uh, put cold water on it with ice. I like my shrimp dip. That's the yeah the sauce. I like it hot. I like horseradish. I like horseradish and I like putting crystal sauce, crystal hot sauce in it too, that, you know, the Cajun hot sauce. So everybody has their own taste. Janelle and I actually, when we make fresh shrimp, we actually make our own bowls of the dipping uh, ketchup, you know, the the cocktail sauce, if you will. So in my case, it's ketchup. I actually like a little bit of Dijon mustard. Janelle would not even hear of putting Dijon in. I like a little Dijon, not too much. Um, Worcestershire, salt, pepper, lemon, a shot or two of, uh, Louisiana hot sauce. And of course, enough horseradish to change the color. <laughs> so it's not, it's not real, real ketchupy. It's got a more of a, yeah, yeah. Like a, you know, a gray. <laughs> and I don't know. I mean, makes you sweat, cleans out the sinuses and stuff like that. I, I just, I really love a good hot cocktail sauce. Janelle goes much easier on her and leaves out the Dijon mustard. But nevertheless, the rest is still pretty much the same. You know, a good cocktail sauce is essential. Mix it up the way you like it and go for it. Story time related to exactly what I'm talking about here, but the food side of this. A hundred years ago, (laughs) my brother and I, Pete, we used to explore Pine Island Sound quite a bit. This would have been in um, about 1980, I guess. And we used to cruise out to an area called Foster's Bay. Foster's Bay was was located up against um, North Captiva Island, uh, not accessible by boat. And in those days, there wasn't a thing out there. There was Barnacle Phil's Restaurant, a few houses. The Stilt House was out there. uh, The shack, as we called it, by the water. But there really wasn't much else out there by that time. The building was getting ready to happen. As a matter of fact, there was an airstrip and that was about it. Uh, but in Foster's Bay, there were piles of oysters, fresh oysters. And we used to fish around those. And when we got bored with the fishing, we would stop and back the boat up to one of those great big oyster bars, put on the old tinny shoes and climb out with a, a great big flathead screwdriver and break off oysters and put them in a bucket to take home. And on a couple of the trips, we'd actually make that that cocktail sauce I'm talking about, and put that in a little Tupperware container and stick it in the cooler. And while we were out there, we would bust open a few of those oysters and have them right on the back of the boat. That's what you call the good old days, because you sure as hell ain't going to do that now. (laughs) Lord knows what might be in those oysters. I hate to say it, the water quality is not what it was. Um, You know, 45, almost 50. Lord, how long? I'm not even going to go there. A long time ago. Um, But anyway, it was something that was really, really special to us. Something else that you don't see Floridians do all that much, and that's putting oysters or clams on a fire. Out in that same area around the shack, there's a great big mud flat out there. Um, It's one you have to avoid when you're trying to get into barnacle fills, which I'm sorry, they changed the name to barnacles now. It used to be barnacle fills. But when you're trying to get in there, there's this big mud flat out there. And we used to get out and dig our toes in the mud and find really nice clams along there. And we, of course, grabbed those. And back then, you'd fire up the grill at home, and you'd put all these oysters and all these clams on the grill till they popped. And once they pop, you put a little tad of butter in each one. And yum, yum, you eat them on down. Now, one thing we did over the years, and this was kind of funny. I heard a story from somebody else about this, so I'll just relay it. I'll relay it to you. They were throwing oysters and clams and stuff over the back of a fence, and they were up against a huge lot in the background. And it was, you know, it was one of those places where uh, there's nobody around. Well, over the years, this I'm not going to mention this guy's name. <laughs> over the years, he threw lots and lots and lots of shells back there lots of oysters and lots of clamshells and other stuff. And he'd created a pile. And over time, uh, someone decided that they were going to build a house back there. So the people came in and measured the lot and did the survey and did all the things that they do. And they came in there with the earth-moving equipment, started to get rid of all the, the old trees and the junk and get things out of the way and smooth it into a lot. You can put a house on and they hit the shells. Now, in the West Coast, Southwest Coast area where this happened, we have Calusa Indians And they were there for thousands of years before uh, we showed up (laughs) and they and they built gigantic mounds of shells. And when the guys hit this enormous amount of shells, certainly not as much as the Calusa Indian tribe would do, but a lot of shells, they they paused and they actually called in someone from uh, I'm going to guess, you know, I have to guess it was environmental of some sort. To come in and take a look at what they'd found, because they were sure they'd hit an Indian ground or something, and which of course is going to stop the building right away. They came in, did a survey, and determined that no, the person that lives behind here has been chucking shells over the back <laughs> for about a decade, and he had created his own uh, his own shell mound. I always thought that was hilariously funny. It's the things in Florida that there's the things in Florida like that that just make you smile. And there, are, and there are many, many other stories like that that I've gleaned from people while they were on the boat with me fishing. Well, that's it. As they say, that's it, folks. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you taking the time to tune in. If you enjoyed the podcast, would you please tell a friend? I'd appreciate that, too. Catchy Outdoors is hosted by Anchor and available via Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Our Facebook page is Catchy Outdoors. Our website is CatchyOutdoors.com. Until next time, get yourself outdoors and enjoy.